So Money, episode 303, Dorothea Kelly. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Excited to introduce Audible.com as today's show sponsor. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products, including my own books, Psych Yourself Rich and When She Makes More. And for so many listeners, the company, get this, wants to give you a free audiobook and a 30-day trial today. Just sign up at audible.com forward slash so money. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com forward slash so money. Today's guest is the founder of Hashtag Money Chat and president of Connor Coaching LLC, which gives results-oriented personal finance and business coaching services. Dorothea Kelly is known for her no-nonsense approach and charismatic personality in order to help individuals successfully manage their money and help business owners boost their bottom line. Dorothea has a book entitled Hashtag Money Chat, The Book, How to Get Out of Debt, Successfully Manage your money and create financial security. Dorothea offers her readers helpful financial advice on everything from saving for college, creating an emergency fund, budgeting, and other important personal finance topics, and does so in a way that makes it easy to apply to your daily routine. Some takeaways from our conversation, the biggest financial concerns she discovered people were talking about on Twitter. Her number one financial mistake, it involved a vacuum, and how Helping a family in need at one point in her 20s. That was the first time she was able to be really charitable, and she calls it her so money moment. Here is Dorothea Kelly. Dorothea Kelly, welcome to So Money. Very excited to talk about your new book, Hashtag Money Chat. Congrats. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You have a hashtag in front of Money Chat. Was that to be able to trend on Twitter and other social media. It's very 2.0. Well, here's what actually the book is a product of not only my financial coaching business, but also the Twitter chat. So I had the Twitter chat long before I wrote the book. And then I decided to take the online conversation offline, put it on paper. And so that's when I said, hey, I'll just do money chat the book. And so tell us about the impetus for Money Chat, the book, aside from having the Twitter chats. But I mean, you yourself insert yourself much in this book. So this was, I think, a very personal journey for you as well. It was. It absolutely was. And it was a long one. I had been wanting to write a book for a long time, but I did not know exactly what I wanted to put in there. I knew it would be about personal finance, but I really wanted it to be Uh, something that everyone could relate to, something that if I picked it up myself, that I would be very proud of it. And that's what I believe I've accomplished. So it was about my personal journey with money. It was about the coaching clients that I had over the years and heard their stories and cried with them and encouraged them and helped them get on a financial path to success. It was about all the people 
that said, you know what, I, I just don't know where to turn. So that is what I believe that I accomplished here. It was a very personal journey. I even, some of my money chatters told their stories in the book. And I was so humbled that they would even take the time to do that and share so that other people could be helped as well. You market this book as this is the book for you in the event that you've read all these other personal finance books and nothing ever clicked. It never really changed your life. So how does Mm -hmm. your book deliver that promise? What I what I believe um, I've accomplished here is giving people action plans at the end of the book and delivering the message in a real talk format. So it's almost like we're sitting at my dining room table over some tea or coffee or whatever you drink. And we're just having a real talk conversation. I add in a little humor and I add in some real life scenarios that aren't over anyone's head that everybody can relate to and say, you know what? Yeah, I've been there. Or you know what? I know someone who has been there. I've heard of this, you know, Um, And then they want to make sure that either they don't go back there or they don't end up in that type of financial situation. In my when I first started my financial coaching practice, I learned early that I had to hold people accountable. You can't just say, "Okay, do this and then let them go off. So I started giving clients homework and I thought about that with the book. I said, there's no sense in reading and it just being the end at the end of each chapter. There's homework, there's assignments, there's to do's that they can go that day, leave and have action plans that they can actually achieve. And and I have to say, as an author myself, too, I really love the structure of the book where you've got um, anecdotes sprinkled throughout the book. So it's not just your voice you're hearing from other people. You're, um, you know, so it, it really makes it for a friendly read, if I dare say, because personal finance mm-hmm. books can sometimes feel very overwhelming and cumbersome. But this one yes. um, has tons of resources as well. And of course, those uh, action steps at the end. So, so well done. You know, that means a lot coming from you. So I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, uh, I, we should tell the audience how we met. We met at FinCon 2015 yeah. and, yeah. um, it was just nice to, uh, you're such a lovely energy. And, uh, oh. I don't know. It was like, I, when I think of FinCon, I think of Dorothea because we happened oh, to attend a you. lot of the same. Yeah. We were at some of the same, uh, workshops and we yes. had drinks together. So it was, yes. um, you were a big part of my experience and, um, oh, I'm, you. and it was a good one. So let's try it. Let's transition now to some so many questions. And I'm sure throughout this, we'll also learn more about you and your book and your journey. But okay. if you had to summarize your financial philosophy in a mm-hmm. word or in a sentence or two, Dorothea, what what is it? What's your money mantra? My money mantra is it's never the end of the world. And I honestly cannot take credit for it. Um, a dear friend spoke those words to me when I was going through something very major. And when she said it, it freed me. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. I'm going to wake up in the morning and come up with a new plan. And that is what my message is to everyone. No matter what you are facing financially, it's never the end of the world. You can get through it. You will get through it. And you are not the only one to have faced any particular situation. So anytime I'm facing anything, whether it's personal or professional or financial, that is what keeps me going. Don't make emotional decisions. Take a deep breath. It will truly all work out. 
Yeah, that really brings up this entire element of emotion and mm-hmm. money that we have these we have the rational side of our brains, which tell us how to get to the resources. We know what we have to do to be out of debt mm-hmm. or to be living within our yes. means. Yet we don't. There's that there's that emotional element, that component, that barrier that keeps us from getting across the bridge. So what's your advice to someone who is stuck in the mud, at least just emotionally, mentally to say, OK, you know what? This too shall yes. pass. The world's not ending. But how do you actually get them to believe that? The way I get them to believe that is by having them write down what their goals are. So in order to get past this emotional uh, being stuck emotionally, you have to say, you know what, what do I really want to achieve? And if I stay here, am I going to be able to achieve it? So I have them write down their goals and then we work towards a plan. What is your plan to get there? So so from writing down your goals to actually having the plan, there may be some work involved there. But at least when you're able to see what your goals are, you can come out of that emotional funk, as I would say, and say, you know what? I'm going to hold my head up. I'm going to push my shoulders back. I'm moving forward and I'm not going to allow my emotions to stop me. Now, here's the other thing, because even I have to do this. You need to recognize it when it is your emotions and just call it what it is. You need to say, you know what? I know what this is. I'm pushing past this. I'm not getting stuck here. One of the guests that I've had on the show a couple of times, James Altucher, you may know him. He's got his own podcast as well. He's a prolific writer and thought leader. And, you know, he personally has dealt with so much emotional drama in his own life. And he tells this story and I'll share it because it's very relevant, I think, to what we're talking about, about how to get over your um whatever mm-hmm. your it is, trepidation, fear, anxiety. And he, he has a, a um, I guess he's, she's now a teenager daughter yeah. who is a worry ward. And what he does with her is he's like, okay, think about something that you were worried about last <laughs> week. Are you still worried about it? Or hold on to this thought and come talk to me by next Friday. And right. if this is still bothering you or if this hasn't resolved itself, which 99.9% of the time it does, you know, th- then we'll talk about it. But there's no sense in worrying about Absolutely. things that, um, you know, that it's just something that is not stemmed in any sort of substance other than just you feeling irrational and um, nervous. So I always, exactly. uh, yeah. So I try to do that to myself too. You know, I can't worry about what other people At think all the time. I can't worry about what other people want me to do mm-hmm. and I can't control everything. What is your financial upbringing, Dorothea? I mean, I like to go down memory lane with my guests because I think it gives a lot of context for why we think and act the way we do with our money today. So capture a memory for us from growing up during your childhood, what money kind Mm -hmm. of uh, meant to you back then and how you learned about it. One story. Well, to be honest, you know, I, I was not taught about money. I did not know anything about money. All I knew is that we didn't have any. So my money memories really come from lack thereof. So how that shaped me, of course it did, is that I wanted to make sure that I didn't stay there as an adult. So I always wanted to make sure that I did whatever I needed to do to be able to earn money, to be able to have some money so that it wasn't always a situation where you couldn't go buy this or you couldn't ask for certain things because you knew the money was not there. So to be honest, that is my money memory as a as a kid. Mm-hmm. And 
were, do you remember being that young and thinking this way? Or is it now only as an adult that you look back and you're like, no, uh-huh. no, no. As a kid, you know, you know, kids know when there isn't enough money. And then, you know, my mom, she didn't play around with it. If it wasn't there, it wasn't there. There was no sugar coating. You know, now, you know, parents handle their their kids with, I guess, kid gloves. But my mother was not that way. If there wasn't enough money, there just wasn't. And so as a as a child, I remember thinking and knowing not to ask for certain things, um, you know, certain things that might might have been going on in school you couldn't participate in. And I didn't even come home and ask because I knew that the money was not there. And so as an adult, what that shaped was I didn't want that for my kids. You know, and it's no slight on my mother. It just was our situation. She did the best that she could. But I wanted to make sure that I was in a different position as an adult with children. How what kind of a financial parent are you? Um, I'm a, uh, my kids probably say helicopter. <laughs> they probably say I'm a helicopter financial parent. I'm, I am very much, um, involved or try to be now they're a little, they're older, you know, they're adults now. So they're like, leave me alone, but I'm very much involved. I ask them all the time. And when I see them spending, I'm like, listen, you can't afford that because it seems, I don't know about you, but have you noticed it seems like. Like, you know, those in there, like 18, 19, 20, they're trying to spend as if they're making the money of a 40 year old. And I'm like, what are you doing? So even when my children were younger, exactly. (laughs) That's it. I'm like, you can't afford (laughs) this lifestyle I provide. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But it's um, very sobering. Yeah. When you graduate from college and your parents have been supporting you and finally you're making your money and you want all the nice things that your parents have given you. It doesn't happen. Exactly. Exactly. And when they were children, I because, of course, being a financial coach, I made sure that they attended financial, you know, those uh, money smart week things for kids. I made sure that I taught them at home how to budget. I even um, when they got like money for school. So say I'm going to buy school clothes for them. I would have them write out how much everything cost before we went. So when we went, we knew you have two hundred dollars to spend. This is what you can buy. And it was not there was no argument because they had already done the homework before we left the house. Nice. I like that. My son's only 17 months. So we have a little wait. We have a little time before we do that. But trust me, I think um, I'm I'm like, I'll be be there with you before you know it. That's right. That's right. (laughs) What would you say is your biggest financial failure, Dorothea? Oh, my goodness. goodness. Okay, so you're not going to believe this, but um. I bought a $2,200 vacuum cleaner when I didn't even have carpet. I had hardwood. Yes. Oh, oh no. So a lady comes to the door and she's like, hey, oh hey, gosh. you want to make some money? And I'm like, yeah, I want to make some money. And she's like, well, listen, you sign up to sell these vacuum cleaners. If you sell three, you get yours free. I'm like, cool. But I don't have any carpet. She's like, that's okay. It steam cleans hardwood floors. I'm like, bet. Sign me up. So... What was got, this? Who comes to your door with a vacuum? Does this happen? I live in New York. I, I guess we don't we don't get this, solicitations like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. We're I was you know in Detroit. You know, so people would come door to door. Remember, they would come door to door with knives and selling knives and different things and all. Yes. Kind of yeah. So she's like, I you know I'm like okay cool I can do this yeah because I'm a great salesperson right. But um, I don't know anybody who can afford a $2,200 vacuum cleaner. And I certainly cannot (laughs) afford one. (laughs) So, of course, you know, you get three days to change your mind and they talk you out of it. 
Needless to say, I ended up paying on this thing for years, really. And um, not I think I got rid of it in a yard sale one day. It, it was nuts. Absolutely nuts. When I tell everybody this story, they just look at me cross-eyed. It's amazing. Oh, my God. Well, did you at least use it for steam cleaning? Did you at least get somewhere no. out of it? Because the thing was too cumbersome. It, you had to add oh water. Oh, my gosh. Do all this. It, was, it was utterly ridiculous. You should have just gone door to door like that lady had. <laughs> You should have gone back to her house. In exactly. Fact. I, sh- I should have. Oh, my God. It was nuts. It was foolish. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I was shaking in my boots, handing over four hundred dollars for a vacuum cleaner the other the other month. You know, we needed a new one and the other one broke down. And yeah. I um, you could spend thou. It's kind of crazy. Like it is in vacuum cleaners. It is. I mean, I don't need it to talk back to me. I just needed to eat my dirt. Exactly. That's exactly. It. Exactly. Oh, okay. Well, that's a first on so money. Um, I, I I was gonna say I've heard it all, but I have not heard that story before. So, congrats. I guess. Thank you. Um. Okay. Let's flip it and talk success. What is your so money moment? Like your ultimate financial achievement to date. Okay, so you know how I, I already talked, shared how, uh, you know, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. So for me, my sole money moment was the when I got the opportunity, the first time I got the opportunity to write a check to help somebody else. So I believe in living to give. And there were years when I would see people in need and I wasn't able to help because I was barely making it myself. So even as a kid, my goal was to get to the point where whenever I saw a need, I could meet it. I could write a check. I could go out and buy whatever was needed, or I could at least connect that person or family to resources. So that is my financial win. The first time I was able to do that for, I think it was a single mom and she had three kids and I was able to rally people to help her and write a check myself. Um, You know, I really felt like I had made it in my sense because what that meant for me was my household was stable because you can't write checks when you're still struggling yourself. So what that meant was, you know, I had arrived at the place that I had thought about as a kid. You know what I mean? So that that, you know, and, you know, of course, the book is a huge financial win for me because of what that takes. But being able to help other people. Um, you know, those everyday folks that need different things that you hear about uh, and being able to meet that need, that that's really important to me. Well, so tell us more about it. How did you help them? How much did you give? What did she do with the money? So this was a, a, a young lady and we were the, at the very first time we were both around the same age. We we're in our 20s. Maybe I was in my later 20s and she um, she had three kids and she was just telling me about what she was going through. And I think she was going through a divorce and really wasn't used to not having that money and had struggled for, I think, over a year. And so what I did was I reached out to all of my friends at church and asked for gift cards because, you know, people don't want to give money. And I understand that. So we all got together and we all went on and bought gift cards, uh, maybe to JCPenney's, to Target, to these different places. So her kids could have clothes for school, you know, grocery stores, Kroger. I'm big on Kroger is a grocery store here in the Midwest. I am big on providing groceries for people because, I, you know, that is one of the when, when times get tight. That is the thing that people cut back on or they'll buy less quality because they can't afford it. So I that's exactly what we did. We got 
gift cards. I delivered them. We gathered coats and different things that people had from their kids. You know, nice things. That's the other thing, too, Farnoosh. I believe in giving what I would want to receive. So we're not giving torn up things. You know, if we got to go buy new. That's what we do. I'm not giving someone something that I wouldn't put on my own child or on my own back. You know, you know, that's the first time I've heard someone talk about there's so many moment being the time when they were able to give back in a big way where their money was no longer serving them, but able to serve others. That's really special. What's your number one financial habit, Dorothea? The one thing and um, that I do that I teach others and they kind of look at me at first, but then they tell me how wonderful it works is I print out my budget. I'm a spreadsheet girl. Everybody doesn't have to do spreadsheets. You can write it on pen and paper. I print out my budget and I keep it in my purse. So whenever, you know, guys, of course, keep it in their wallet. And whenever I go out and I'm thinking about deviating or I see something I want to buy, it's there, tangible. I can just whip it out and take a look at it. Of course, now everybody's got apps and all these kind of things. I don't really use apps because I'm a numbers nerd. So I kind of do my own thing, but I love them. I have clients that use them. So just have it at your fingertips. And when you're going off or somebody calls you, you know, and says, hey, we want to go to Vegas for Christmas. And you're like, yeah, let's go. And then you can look at your budget and say, well, maybe not, you know, or yeah, sure, I can do that. And that is the one habit that has stuck with me. And I started that when I was trying to get on my own journey of financial success. How much do you budget for vacation? Speaking of, is there a percentage allocation? Sometimes people ask me this question. And I think I would say that dedicating 5% for miscellaneous expenses is fine. And within that category, vacations would be one item. But what do you think? I think 5% is a good gauge. To be honest, I budget vacations uh, based on where I want to go. And of course, how much it's going to cost me and what deal I think I can get on it. So I I don't necessarily use a percentage of my income or, or what have you. I just say, hey, if I want to go here, what's the best deal I can get on it? And if, if I'll have a number in mind and if I can't reach that number, then I won't go. So I have a bare minimum number. And if I can't go for that price, then I then I won't go. Let's do some so many fill in the blanks. This is the part where I start a sentence, you finish it. Okay. Don't overthink it. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, the first thing I would do is? The first thing I would do um, is the responsible thing. I'd pay off my student loan. That would be, that's the last thing. And I would get rid of that thing. And then I would get out of Dodge. I'd go on a serious vacation. (laughs) Wait, you still have student loans? Yes, I still have student loans. They follow you. So yeah, that's my, that I know, right? That is my last debt. I probably have about two more years to pay. And um, it is, it's going, it's getting out of here. Trust me. Yikes. Well, you're not alone there. I mean, I have friends who still have loans from graduate school, college. They're in their 40s. The debt's still there. Um, So it happens to the best of us. Okay. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? The one thing that I spend on to make life easier or better is help around the house and help running errands because I just don't have as much time. And I, I, I stopped trying to do everything myself. You'll drive yourself nuts. So I, I, it's a must. When I splurge, I like to buy. So I don't, I don't have that. I need to though. I, after this, I'm going to get something to splurge on 
because I don't have anything that I splurge on. That's that's not good. I need to have something. Hey, and if I'm the reason (laughs) for it, awesome. (laughs) That's right. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is how to manage it because I had to wing it. I didn't know when I first started. I I had no clue how to manage money. When I donate, I like to give to blank because I like to give to the everyday people, um, the next door neighbor, the the senior citizen who needs uh, medicine, you know, um, because to me, that's an ability to meet a an immediate need without a lot of red tape and rigmarole. And last but not least, I'm Dorothea Kelly. I'm so money because... I am so money because I teach people how to save, grow, invest, and change their money chat. (laughs) Your hashtag money chat, in fact. Thank you so much, Dorothea. It was a pleasure to reconnect with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I've had a great time. Once again, thanks to audible.com as today's show sponsor. Remember to head to audible.com forward slash so money to sign up and get your free audiobook and 30 day trial today. Audible.com forward slash so money. If you'd like to learn more about Dorothea, and I hope you do, her website is themoneychat.com. She's also on Twitter at Dorothea Kelly. Check out somoneypodcast.com for this interview, its transcript, and the comments. And of course, while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your questions. Looking to hear from you about what is on your money mind, because not only do I want to answer it on the Friday episodes, but I'm looking to develop a nice program for everybody in the new year, but it needs to be catered to your needs, your interests interests and your questions. So let me know what you would love to learn more about that's outside of this podcast beyond what you're getting from this experience. And so hopefully we can create something that's really rich and valuable for you. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I hope your day is so money.